0: The views and opinions expressed by individuals on the following program do not necessarily reflect those of the network, Guy's Guy Radio, and its platforms.
1: It's Guy's Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny.
0: Welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, welcoming you to the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins, Guys Guys Radio. We're here to inform you, inspire you, empower you, and get you to think, feel, and who knows, maybe even act by virtue of the journeys, stories, experiences, and insights of the guests I bring you each and every week to the show. And once again, this week is no exception. On today's show, we're gonna talk about producing some of the most iconic television in the history of TV. And our special guest is the legendary Hollywood TV producer, George Slaughter. Most notably, he produced and conceptualized the show, Laughing. Remember Rowan and Martin's Laughing back in the 60s, if you can remember way back when? Well, it was a breakthrough comedy kind of skit show that broke through and grabbed everybody's attention. And had so many catchphrases uh, attached to it that people were saying in those days, like here come the Judge and Sock it to Me," and very interesting, and so many others. And it had stars like Goldie Hawn and Ruth Buzzy and Artie Johnson and Henry Gibson and Joanne Worley and Judy Carn, and of course, Dan Rowan and Dick Martin, a uh, stand-up uh, duo, where Dan Rowan was the straight guy, and Dick Martin was the comic. And uh, they did a, a, a fantastic job keeping the show moving. And it was all uh, managed in the background by the wonderful producer, George Slaughter, who is my guest today on Guys, Guys Radio. I think you're going to enjoy our conversation. He wrote a, kind of an autobiography called Still Laughing. And it's got so many stories about his time in Las Vegas working with Sammy Davis, working with Mae West, working with Frank Sinatra, working with Diana Ross share so many Robin Williams, so many others. He's just an iconic TV producer. He knows the business inside out. He's going to share some tips and some insights with us today. And I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation here on Guys Guys Radio. So I hope you're having a great September. Labor Day behind us now. We're marching towards the end of a wacky 2023. This might be the craziest year yet and we've been really off to the races since 2020. And who knows what's going to happen because with all this crazy stuff, we've actually got a presidential election next year. Or so, and everybody's up in the air about that. Are these two guys going to run against each other? Is one going to drop out? Is one going to be incarcerated? We have no idea. And the country needs leadership and the, the world has really seemed to have gone crazy. So it's important to, for all of us to really take a breath Settle ourselves and work on ourselves because the way to change the world is one person at a time. So, work on yourself, people. Work on yourself, and then you'll impact others just by your vibe, just by your being. Do the work on yourself each and every day. So, guys, guys, radio, our special guest is Hollywood iconic TV producer George Slaughter. We're going to have a terrific conversation. I think it's going to be a lot of fun now, George. George has been around for a while. He's 93, but he just came out with this book, still laughing, his autobiography, and he's got a lot of tremendous stories. So let's bring him on to Guys Guys Radio. It's Guys Guy Radio. Okay, Guys Guys Radio, it's the interview portion of my show, and I am delighted and honored to have a a fantastic guest who is a really an icon in the television industry and in, in production in particular. His name, he's a creative genius, genius in my opinion. His name is George Slaughter, and he changed the face of TV when he created and produced the landmark sketch comedy series *Rowan and Martin's Laughing* or *Laughing*. He also created and produced TV series *Real People*, the first five Grammy Awards, uh, hundreds of variety series and specials, hours and hours and hours of uh, content and uh, two presidential inaugural opening ceremonies and he's also the creator and producer of the american comedy awards he's been honored uh he, 25 emmy nominations three wins tv critics association awards naacp image awards golden globes directors guild award he is an icon in the industry and he's still at it and he's 93 years old and he's written a book about his life and we're going to talk about that today Welcome to the show, The Guys
1: Guys Radio. George Slaughter, it's a pleasure to have you here, sir. Thank you. I'm exhausted just listening to those credits. I've all <laughs> that in just 93 years. And I think
0: the name of your book is still still laughing. Correct? Yeah, yes, that I am. And I've been uh, reading it over the last couple of days, and I couldn't believe the amount of people that y- you not only have come in contact with in showbiz icons, but have also impacted their careers. And how they impacted your careers, everybody, Frank Sinatra, Judy Garland, just the list, Robin Williams, Cher, the list goes on and on. And you've got an a- a- anecdote about everybody, including all the background about um, Rowan and Martin and laugh End. But let's start at the beginning. Let's start with your, your story, George. How did you work your way to your beginning in Las
1: Vegas? Did you expect to be in show business? No, no, it's long. You remove the word accident from my career, and I'm <laughs> always accident. I uh I was grown. I lived in Webster Groves, Missouri. Came to California. Got a job uh, at Ciro's. Uh, um, and I they said I w- They said I was a bouncer. And I said no. I was an executive in charge of emergency departures. And uh, so, but anyhow, I got to know everybody. I got to know everybody at Ciro's. And then I began booking shows at the Frontier Hotel in Vegas on a silver slipper. And from there, just kind of mushroom. A lot of luck was involved. And, and from there,
0: how did you work your way to Hollywood? I believe it was the, um, with your, your wife. Your wife of many years uh, wanted you to make that transition to kind of get out of the
1: seedy side of Vegas, if you will. Well, seedy is a, a kind word. <laughs> yeah, Vegas was very colorful. And I was booking at a Frontier Hotel in Las Vegas in a silver slipper, and uh, I knew some colorful people. Will uh, that, that do? Yeah. And I wanted to marry Jolene. she said I'd be dead before I was 30. So I said, I'll lose. I don't have to see those people. She said, you'll never lose them. I did. So I lost them, and now I'm clean, absolutely clean. I'm church people. I don't know them anymore. But it led to a very colorful uh, uh, procession of, Wonderful, funny, happy people, everybody from Goldie and Cher. I mean, when you think about the people I've worked with, I was one lucky fella.
0: Incredible. How, how did you uh, manage the process, though? Just one last question about, about Vegas and that, you know, yeah. you, dealt, you dealt with some strong characters, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis, the Rat Pack, a lot of other folks there. And that industry and how it was run um how did you manage to ingratiate yourself and you have a presence and i I noticed throughout the book and throughout your career you stood up to people uh in a in a a kind way but in a firm way how did you kind of make your connection in vegas that uh, not only allowed you to succeed there george but also uh helped you make the transition to hollywood
1: well there was a lot of luck involved and uh, a lot of it was my relationship with jolene Who was a wonderful girl and everybody loved Jolene. And she said she wouldn't marry me because I'd be dead before I was 30 with the people I was hanging out with. I said, I don't have to hang out with them anymore. She said, You'll never lose them. Well, I did. It took me about two years to untangle myself from some of the people. Proud of the secret, I think, was making them laugh. That was the key with Frank. If you can make him laugh, everything got much better. But there was a lot of luck involved. And, uh, it's a lot of hard work and a lot of luck, I think. We'll go for luck. Now, Frank Sinatra,
0: the first time you met him, I believe you were in an executive's office and he had a contract and he walked in with his people. And uh, he asked, is this uh, has the big guy, I think, or the fat man read the contract? And uh, yeah. the uh, other person on the other side of the desk on your side said yes. And so he signed it and he handed the contract to you and said, here, you know, this is... You know, my tie's older than you or something like that. And that was your first he, interaction he, he with Frank
1: Sinatra. He came in to sign the contract and all of the executives at NBC were there. But I was like 19 years old. So I was in a, a gabardine suit with a flowered tie. I looked like a comic valentine compared to the other executives at NBC. He looked around the room and he said, I have ties older than this guy. And he said, have you read this? I said, yeah. He said, is it OK? I said, yeah. And so he (laughs) signed the contract and uh, he said, Get a regular suit. So he left. We became very good friends after that. And he was involved in my career from that day up until his wife wanted me to do a eulogy at his funeral. Wow. Which is not my favorite thing in the world, you know. But I didn't know what to say. You know, what do you say at Frank Sinatra's funeral? And so I said, Okay, as long as I don't have to follow Gregory Peck. Sure enough, Gregory Peck did a flowery speech. And now, and then the bishop introduced me. And I mean, I had not met a lot of bishops, you know, so I didn't know what to say. So I said, thank you, your honor. Well, the place cracked up. because the call you. Know, I had met a lot more judges than bishops. So anyhow, uh, uh, then, so then, then people laughed and the eulogy and the, the event of Sinatra's funeral became quite colorful and actually a joyous experience. Frank was involved in my career from very early up until the eulogy. He was a very special man. What, why, special. what,
0: what do you attribute your connection to Frank Sinatra? I know you mentioned humor is a great uh, glue for people. But beyond that, he must have trusted you. He must have seen something in,
1: in you and how you did your job. Well, a lot of accident was involved. And we knew both knew some of the colorful people, Jilly and some of those people. And uh, I could get things done for him, you know. And uh, so he was—he was an event. We don't have anybody like that today. Michael Michael Jackson is colorful, you know, is all of those people. But nobody was like Sinatra. Sinatra walked in, and the room just chilled. Uh, he was, and he was funny. He loved to laugh. You could make him laugh. You he get by with anything, but you better be careful. You know, if he wasn't laughing, you made a mistake. But Jolene was part of the partly largely responsible for my social acceptance as well as my uh, career mood because everybody loved Jolene and uh um and so and she she was a gorgeous lady and she was a very good actress. She did all the Ernie Kovac shows and Ernie loved her. And uh uh so that her relationship with Ernie and my relationship then developed with Ernie as a result of that. And it kind of snowballed from there just Grew and grew and grew. There's a lot of luck involved, but I think probably the greatest single influence on my career and on my life was Jolene. Oh, you're very lucky, and you've been
0: married a very long
1: time, correct? Like
0: sixty, married some sixty-five years?
1: years, and I just had my option picked up, so we're going to go for sixty-six. All right, and everything's good. Everything, everybody's healthy, feeling good. I haven't called the house yet, but so far, yes, good, good. Self, God him, bless got shit. two great daughters, so it's been it's been quite a colorful exciting journey uh i don't know anybody else that's quite been as lucky and had the opportunities that that's what i hope to capture in the book i hope to say this is a life well led and the way it happened was i just started talking and i'd tell the stories and when i would meet anybody i'd tell them a story and all and so all of those stories compiled into a joyous romp through a very colorful and bumpy career and life and uh i'm amazed at the fact people are actually reading it because it's not like a book book, you know, a serious biography. That's not what it is. It's a series of stories and adventures that I had. And I'm amazed at the very positive reaction to it because a lot of the people in the book you may not have heard of because they were, you know, a long time ago. But they are funny. And they are Jilly Rizzo and some of those people and Robin Williams and Sinatra. All those those people had funny incidents, funny accidents with them. So that's what the book is made of Well, Tell us, uh,
0: George, and my special guest on Guys Guys Radio is the incredible George Slaughter, Hollywood producer, TV producer extraordinaire. Tell us, uh, uh, there's so many, I just started making a list when I was preparing my notes for our conversation, and it was just a a who's who of of Hollywood and TV. But let's get a couple of stories out there. You mentioned Robin Williams.
1: Tell us a little bit about your experience with Robin. He was such a unique talent. See, if you took the word accident out of my bio, it would be nothing left. Because Robin Williams, I'm on the streets in San Francisco. I'm walking along, and there's a young man there barefoot in coveralls with a straw hat, barefoot, and a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. And he's got the fishbowl out over the audience. And he says, No, you can't say that on radio, so cut it. But <laughs> I could I couldn't believe this young man just making up stuff on the street. So I told him, I said, take a shower, get cleaned up and come on in the office. And he came in and said, I'm ready to go to work, boss. And one of the first people I put him with was Sinatra. And Sinatra could not believe you know, this young man. He was brilliant. He was very well educated to begin with. He was at Juilliard and at the end of his third year, they told him they didn't want him to come back. And he thought, who did I offend? No, Robert, it's just nothing more they could teach him. So he went out. He was one of the fastest, most brilliant minds. I mean, I've had Jonathan Winters and all of those people too, but Robin was very special. He was uh he was an event and then uh then he got into all kinds of, you know, problems. But uh so Robin was there, Sammy Davis, all the people that I was able to work with and had great success with, uh, and had a lot of fun with, all of them wound up in this collection of stories and it's still laughing. I am. And I'm still laughing. I'm laughing not only with me, but I'm laughing about me. How dare I have had that career and had those people and gotten a woman like Jolene Brand to marry me, you know? Let, let me ask you about uh, another star and but, be, is there the reason for it, share.
0: And the reason I ask you is that you yes. developed into a producer and as a producer, a, like a line producer right there, you had to make, you had to be creative. You had to have good people skills and you also couldn't let the talent uh, kind of trot over you. I come from the advertising business and I totally could relate to everything you had to, had, had to deal with, but on a much higher level uh how did you tell us a little bit about your experience with Cher who used
1: to uh she had a name Thunder I think she used to call no, you or... no, 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 no she called me yeah uh, Cher was was it uh, part of the accident I mean I had a lot of bumpy uh, relationships before Cher and I wanted to do the Judy Garland show but I didn't want to meet her until I'd been hired and so I go for a meeting with Judy Garland he says so you're George Slaughter I said so you're Judy Garland and I said and I don't know, I said, I don't care what you may have heard about me. There's no truth to the rumor that I'm difficult. And she looked at me like, she said, what? You're difficult? I said, see there, even you've heard it. But that set up, <laughs> a, relationship, set up a relationship with Judy where I could make her laugh. And uh, uh, that, that broke, the, broke the wall. Well, Cher was the same thing. Cher was a very, very exciting girl. But her, her life was controlled by Sonny. Sonny ran everything, and Cher was just there. So when Sonny passed, Cher was there alone and she uh, didn't have Sonny to lean on. And so uh, without Sonny, then I had to convince Cher of all the things we were doing. And that's how she started calling me Hammer. Because evidently, ah, right. my, approach, Sorry. evidently my approach sometimes is less than gentle. But uh, uh, Cher, Cher is an event. She would have been a star manicurist. She would have been a star teacher, anything. She's a very, very talented, very special woman with an aura of of kind of unpredictability and crazy. But she's uh, she's done marvelously well, and I'm just crazy about it. I cherish the times I had with her, because we did have a lot of laughs. It was not always smooth, because sometimes she didn't want to do what I wanted her to do. That's how I got the title, the Hammer. Uh, and I called her Nails, because it seemed to me all the time we were waiting for <sighs> her to get her Nails. I'd go oh. her Nails and go, okay, <laughs> Hammer.
0: That's hilarious. What what do you attribute your uh, your skill at being able to manage some of these um, artistic creative personalities? And they're all very different, but they all have a point of view. And they're like Judy Garland, like like Cher, like, uh, you know, John Milton Berle, um, Steve it's Lawrence, Mae oh. West. You have you dealt with all of these folks. What What was the key Uh, personality characteristic that carried you through and got them to listen to you and where did you learn this where did you learn about production you had a lot of great creative ideas
1: i think it was a combination of fear and respect uh uh, and situations i mean i found myself in different situations that just evolved into things may west may west was playing in vegas and they wanted me i don't know if anybody remembers may west but she was an older very very bawdy lady Right. It was alleged to have had all of these affairs and so forth. So I wanted her to work at zeros, And so I went to see her. And so she came in and it was a wonderful meeting, because it was all pink light and pink light. And she uh said, So you're George Slaughter. She said, that yeah. she said, I want to warn you, young man, don't fall for me. She said Because <laughs> if you could catch it, you could never ride it. So I remember, 70-year-old woman giving me this warning. Hilarious. Uh, but again, it was the ability to laugh and the ability. To look at world at our world on an angle because everything about us is funny, even even Trump, when you realize there is humor well i'm not going <laughs> to <That's> go definitely. <laughs> there. They've, already, they've already told me don't go there <laughs> to talk about Donald Trump without a drummer is wrong, you know but but we will survive that we survived Nixon, and uh we'll survive trump, now, but uh, Go but the, the opportunity and then taking i think probably seizing. Disaster and turning it into uh, a success was part of the secret. I mean, when you recover, when you get knocked down, you get up again. And then, but Jonathan Winters was a trip. We did Jonathan Winters' first special, and uh, did Jonathan Winters and Art Carney, and we had this whole show all laid out. Jonathan hadn't been on, and the whole show was laid out. And then we read that the president had been shot, and so we then have everything that we don't we don't meet again until the day we're supposed to start taping. And so they showed up and. None of, the, none of what we had planned was done it was even doable because we'd never rehearsed it. So I, took, I said, get all the props in the building. We rounded up all the props in the building. Now, you got to know, at this point, I have a major commitment with the network to do Jonathan Winters' first special, and we haven't rehearsed one minute. <laughs> so I sat down. I said, get every prop in the building. And we put together all these props on tables, and then I had Jonathan Winters and Art County just play. I said, just make it. He said, what do we do? I said, make up stuff. So for an hour, they just stood there and picked up props and did that. We taped it. And Dwight Heming, the best director maybe maybe television ever, said, what are you going to do with this stuff? I said, I don't know, but I have to deliver it tomorrow. <laughs> and so they panicked, right? So uh, we went into NBC the next day, and uh, we ran this package of all of these side gags, all just bits and pieces, one line. And they, they laughed like hell. They said, well, that's great. What, but what's the show? I said, that's the show. They said, What do you mean that's not a show? I said, That isn't a show. I said, The newest thing on the continent, they call it Comedy Verte. I made it up you know, in the meeting. And so he called him and he said, Irvin, did you ever hear of Comedy Verte? And the executives all lied. We said, Oh, yeah, it's big on the continent. <laughs> so here's Jonathan Winters and Art Carney for you know an hour just doing prop jokes. Put it on the air. Network wasn't going to air it. They said, this isn't a television show. I said, this new thing. Put it on the air. And that got a nomination. It was wonderful. I think, I think you take disaster and failure and just turn it around a little bit and you can turn it into an adventure.
0: Well, you yeah. have a lot of that takes a lot of guts and you a lot of um a lot of uh, belief in yourself and the decisions you're making. And also you're very fast on your feet. Which well, I fear see. is a great
1: fear is a great you way know? <laughs> of people run faster when they're afraid than they do when they're okay. I mean fear fear not not fear as much as uh, awareness that you are on the edge of the ledge and you're about to fall off and and if you don't fall then you're you're okay i've had I think probably I've enjoyed some of my mistakes uh, as much as I have the successes, and uh, I think if I would give any advice to a young person. Just keep trying. Don't back off. Stay in the ring and keep trying, and you get another shot. And uh, certainly, I've had more opportunities than any chubby fat guy with a wrong name should <laughs> survive. But I've had a good time. That's part of the reason it worked.
0: Well, George, let's and my special guest on Guys Guys Radio, which is the amazing George Slaughter, and he's known probably most of all for Rowan and Martin's Laughing or Laughing. Tell us about that. Uh, the concept uh, you worked with. Uh, what was his name? Rigby. Rigby. Digby. Digby Dick, Dick Digby. And um, you got, He was a British guy, I think. And you guys had the concept. And how did you sell it to the network? How did you cast it? Tell us a little bit about the dynamic between Rowan and Martin, because you described them as kind of frenemies. And then how you put the cast together. With a lot of these folks were unknown, and some of them turned like Goldie Hawn became a breakout long-term star, and others just faded. Uh, you know, faded away in terms of
1: the uh, cultural uh, landscape, if you will. Part of it was, if you can look at disaster, failure, and whatever, as an opportunity instead of an end. And part of it was because NBC had nothing to put on opposite Lucille Ball and Gunsmoke. It was the number one and two show. So they said, do you have anything you can put on until we can get a show ready? And I said, yeah. So we came on with all of these people. And Goldie Hahn was a dancer. And Carolyn Raskin, brilliant woman who developed many of the editing techniques we now have, said, You got to see this girl. I go down, and there's Goldie Hunt. And she said, But I'm a dancer. What do you want me to do? I said, Just talk. So she sat there, and the most adorable person in the world, she said, But I'm not a comic. So we gave her an introduction of Dan Rowan, and she screwed the, she was nervous. So she screwed up the introduction. She said, Oh, I'm sorry, I'll do it again. I said, No, Goldie, that'll be just fine. And that's what went up there. Goldie, the same with Lily Tomlin. Lily Tomlin, I saw uh, doing a barefoot tap dance. And it was also doing a character she had who was a rubber freak, a woman who lived loved, ate rubber. And uh, it sounds weird, but Lily came in with these people. It weren't characters. She became these different people. And uh, uh, we would experiment. And uh, you've got to take chances and you've got to take, take people around you who are creative and open it up and let them function. So a lot of luck was involved. And not only the fear of, it wasn't the fear of failure as much as it was acknowledging that failure sometimes is exciting. So we had all of these people we had found over a period of time. We put them all together and the network looked at the show because it was all just bits and pieces. And the network said, that's not a show. And I said, yeah, that's a show. And so anyway, they put it on the air because they had nothing else. Take an accident and cherish it. Realize Accident is another word for opportunity. So we put the show on, and after three weeks, it, people caught on to it. And said wait, there's something happening here that's different. And that was the secret of laughing, trying things. And we couldn't get anybody to do the show. We didn't have money for guest stars. So we would stop people in the hall coming from the Dean Martin show or from the Johnny Carson show. We'd stop them in the hall and ask them to do the show. John wade said, I'm not going to do that show with those <laughs> people. That's what we put on the air. And, uh, When people would tell Uh, us no way, we put that on the air and made a feature out of people telling us no. For those who don't remember, I mean, you guys came up with so many
0: um, taglines that became part of the culture with a socket to me. Here come the judge. Very interesting. It just goes on and on. Um, how did you map out each show, each episode, George? I know you, it sounds like you wanted it to be a little bit freeform because of the vehicle that it was and the platform it was, but how did you do your kind of
1: planning as a producer for that? Well, we would come in with concepts, and then we would bring this cast in. The readings were hysterical. I mean, they just, they just attacked me and everybody. And then we would tape sometimes till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. And we would tape what we had planned, and then we would tape an adventure anything else they wanted to say we save that and put that in the show and then this editing technique that carolyn developed and carolyn digby of of just the joke never mind the setup never mind the payoff just the joke and it was this staccato rapid machine gun delivery of funny sayings done by young attractive uh people and then we put it on the air edited very fast with bright colors when you look at television today you don't see any bright colors Everything is black and dark. Right. You don't. See what, so, laughing was a barrage of colors and and uh, that helped. So it was the youthful happening of joyous people and material and and in subject matters. I mean, we uh, talked about things you weren't supposed to talk about. Uh, and partly, laughing was the result of what had gone on before that because I'd worked in television, worked in Vegas, and so forth. And uh, accident and uh, and and fearless. If, you, mm-hmm. if you're not afraid, go try something. And if they tell you it's going to fail, keep trying it harder. And the more they tell you it's not going to work, the chances of it working are more. I love They're it. Just afraid to take a chance. No, I had a,
0: Go ahead. Go ahead, George.
1: No, I. I in this book, uh, uh, they wanted me to write a book about my experiences, and I said I can't. I. I what am I going to write about? A serious book. So what I did was I started dictating stories, anecdotes and events that have happened in my life and then put that together. And, uh, uh, this publisher said, that'll be fine. I said, you really? Yeah. So they put it. And then a young writer, John Max was a brilliant comedy writer. I said, John, take what I've dictated and take everything out. That's not funny. And that, and also that's going to get me in trouble with people. And, uh, so he put together this collection of what was left and, uh, so they read it, and it's amazing the reaction to it. I think I think it's happened at a time when people want something that makes them feel good. People want something that makes them feel hopeful and joyous and uh, as a participant in life's rich pageantry. And that was the end result was uh, still laughing and the name of the book still Laughing, George Slaughter my special guest on
0: Guys Guys Radio. Let me throw uh some questions where you can just give me the name and give me a story about I'll do them. My best. Who was who was the uh, of all these folks you've worked with over the years?
1: Who is the greatest all over all around talent? Robin Williams. Okay. Robin was a, Robin was an accident because again he was on the streets in San Francisco and we were taping a show with Robin and I would Anytime we had a break, anytime we had a set change or whatever, I'd send Robin out there, either with a guest star or just with Robin. And we would present problems to Robin Williams. And that mind was so fast and so brilliant, And he had a brilliant education at Juilliard. Because after his third right. year at Juilliard, right. they asked oh, him not yeah. to come back. Right. They, because um, there's nothing more to learn. Well, okay. Robin required. So the uh, uh, the adventure. See, I think I think when we started obeying the rules, rules are there specifically there to be broken because everybody else is obeying the rules. When you don't, you have a chance of success. <laughs> when so- George, when you got to Hollywood and you
0: eventually became a producer, that's a big step. How did you, what was the linkage? How did you make that first step? What was the incident, the inciting incident, if you will, uh, to become a producer, because that's a big job. And you certainly had the qualifications of being very creative, fast on your feet, organized, having, you know, having a presence, being able to manage, being able to manage big personalities. But how did you get that
1: first gig? Part of it was born out of fear. Because, because I'm working in Vegas with some very, very colorful people, and I had to come up with answers very quickly. And uh, so uh the fan also. Finding a place where there's nothing else to compete with. nothing Laughing was an accident. NBC did not mean to buy it. It was the cheapest show on the network. It was uh, there's no way for it, and they didn't want to air it. They said, "This isn't a television show. This is just a bunch of people." I said, "Right." So anyhow, they put it on the air reluctantly, and uh, it happened. I mean, and all those collection of people, Lily Tomlin, Lily Tomlin. I saw her doing a barefoot tap dance, and then doing a, a character, a woman who ate rubber. Well, you can't today, you talk to somebody about that, and you realize those characters exploded. Lily, Goldie, Judy Card, Amazing. Joanne Worley, Ruth we were all young character people. They were not guest stars like other shows were seeking, and they were not old character people. They were young character people who wanted an opportunity. And we so, would take sometimes till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning just playing, and it was a big adult playpen.
0: So you so, took the show from kind of uh, an accident, if you will, to Probably the number one show in the country and in the culture. Everybody talked about laughing and you actually got, I guess, your biggest score, if you will,
1: was you got Richard Nixon on the show. How did that happen? Well, Paul Keyes was one of the writers and we needed something for that second year because laughing after about the sixth show had big rating and it was something to live up to. And so uh, uh, he said, maybe I can get Nixon and I said get him for me too it was a joke but I, mean, I was not crazy about Nixon we went over to this <laughs> he was doing a press conference and we said Mr Nixon would you just say socket to socket to me hey that's good do it again so we got him to say socket to me <laughs> took the tape back out of NBC, put it in the next show and the day after that show aired people said that was richard nixon on a comedy show broke the rules and immediately attracted the attention and, uh, Nixon, and
0: and he got elected.
1: <laughs> Thanks, George. He said, he, Humphrey, <laughs> and, uh, Hubert Humphrey was running against him and said, we wanted Humphrey to come on the show and said, what a good idea. And he didn't do the show. He said, not doing the show, Humphrey said maybe cost him the election. It was amazing. He impacted no, no political character of any amazing. kind had ever done a comedy show, you know, and now they have to do it. Now we don't realize those press conferences are really just uh, funny. You
0: know. Now, over the years of the show, George, um, obviously everything has a peak and then it starts to fade yeah, on TV. Yeah. Tell us the, about kind of the, the course of the life of the show. What happened? We it ramped up; it became the biggest show, the biggest cultural phenomena. How did it kind of, uh, as everything does, it's not a criticism by any means. Why? How did it lose its steam? And when you probably saw this, what were you
1: thinking? Well, it didn't really lose its steam. What happened is the network. Uh as Laughing was a huge hit with an unbelievable rating, maybe one of the biggest ratings of all time, that carried with it enormous criticism from the network. The network was always, always on me. We had meetings where I was doing this wrong, I was doing that wrong, and I would keep saying, look, why don't you take it off the air? Either let me do what I'm doing or just say goodbye to me, right? Well, they didn't want to do either because they were hookers. So uh <laughs> uh eventually, eventually you get tired. You say, wait a minute, this is not worth it because i was taking a lot of heat and i was getting tax wraps for what we were saying and uh, you don't want to go against the irs too regularly with jokes and uh finally finally it just became too too much the network became too much to handle every week and to continually fight I mean, those fights with the network went on you can't imagine today that we were having trouble socket to me had a mild sexual connotation you know mm. and we would say look that up in your Funk and waggle and they right, right, presented to right. you the, the long F. Looked that up in the funk and wagner. And that that upset them. And they thought they saw something wrong in every joke that we did. And the thing is that they would point to the wrong thing. I would have something that I knew it might be offensive, and they would point at a different joke. And I would say, no, guys, you missed it. But we'd go ahead and do the joke anyway. So we had Paul Keys who tilted slightly to starboard. And we had Digby Wolf, who could have been, uh, you know, Asked to leave the country because of his political views, and then his collection of young, energetic outcasts—people in They had no other job to go to, because there was no other place for that kind of outrageous, irreverent human. Mm-hmm. Today, today there is, and I—I I miss today. I miss bright colors. I miss happy people. Mm-hmm. I miss accident, and and uh, uh, it all seems to be kind of the same. Eventually, we were out of, out of the dismal period we're in now. These writers who are on strike, that's pathetic. You know, the networks are making millions of dollars and the writers and producers and everybody are not making money. But eventually when this thing opens up again, and it must because television will now keep sinking and sinking and sinking, eventually they're going to come back. And the answer will be funny. And it will be funny yeah, people I think, I think you're right. people celebrating and having fun. What I miss watching television is a sense of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I can have fun in an avalanche, but it's just, uh, I don't see the opportunity today for fun. Yeah, Everything's very, very
0: dark. Let me ask you one last question about laughing that uh, for me, it's a personal question is I always, when I was watching, I always wondered how did, um, you know, Rowan and Martin, how, what was their, I know their role, they were kind of like the hosts and the glue, but what was their dynamic like? What was it like working with them? You, you uh, categorize them as kind of frenemies in in your book. Tell us a little bit about that, um, well, to sell that connection good. there. <laughs>
1: <clears throat> the presentation of laughing was so bizarre that oh, uh, Jim Miller the man at Timex, <clears throat> said he would buy it. We had to have a host because originally there was no host; it just happened. And Rowan and Martin, I'd worked with, and they did a great stand-up comedy act. And Dan Rowan was a brilliant straight man who was well read, and Dick was a buffoon, you know. So mm-hmm. we would put Rowan and Martin out there, and they would talk, and we'd talk six or eight minutes, whatever. And we'd cut in the middle of that and say, time to go to the party. And we would keep those things where Dick was just having a good time. And uh, Dan was trying to keep it straight and do straight introductions. So they added a great deal because they were kind of the anchor. They were the moment of sanity, which helped the show a lot because the rest of the show was insane. So uh, uh, Ron and Martin, eventually when laughing was over, they didn't do anything else because there was no place else to, uh, to put it. There was, it was originally designed without a host, but having Rowan and Martin there did help it because it was an anchor. And the people who were uncomfortable with what we were saying and the speed with which we were saying it uh, had some place to kind of settle in and, and be, get their balance again. You know, Gamble, chances, chances, mm-hmm. take chances, savor chances, relish it. Now, now
0: George, them. you had some uh, mentorship. Um, I want to ask you about that. I know George Burns uh, was... Instrumental in giving you some tips when you were first starting out in production, and I know you were very appreciative of that. What what uh, tips do you give uh, you know young people getting into the production side of things or who want to break into Hollywood? I know you mentioned don't give up if they say no, keep trying, etc. But how how did George Burns uh, uh, impact you? What were some of the things he told you? And I was doing um, a show. Do I, was,
1: I was doing a show with the Dinah and George Burns was a guest star, and I was I was just starting out. Nobody. Dinah liked me because I made her laugh. And one of the guest stars was George Burns, who I was in awe of, George Burns. And so we were doing the show, and George would stand next to me and say, I think maybe it would be, and he would make me a session. I would then go out and say what George Burns had said to me. And people thought I was brilliant. I wasn't brilliant. I was a parrot. You know, I was taking whatever George said. But seize those little moments. Don't look at a failure or a disaster as doubt. It's a... It's a springboard into success. So uh, we we had people. We would uh, Orson Welles came on the show. Can you imagine Orson Welles on a comedy Mm -hmm. show? It was great. And uh, and John Wayne saying, "I'm not going to do that show." They're crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, when somebody says no to you, no is just a postponement of yes. And go for it. See, they call it play acting. We have more fun. You can have more fun. And look at each setback, each, each disaster, each failure as uh, 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 on the way to success. And Ron and Martin were great because they would do anything. They'd come in, you know, for a couple of a few hours a week and they would do these talk things that didn't really fit, but they fit because they didn't fit. Right. And um, uh, I think I think what I miss today is a sense of adventure. I see words and language that I would not use and I see boring situations, and I see dark colors. I would love to see something with color and excitement. And, I mean, Goldie Hahn came in, there, there was no, she was a dancer. Well, you took the, the, her minimal attention span and that giggle, and she became a huge, huge star, as did Joanne Worley, as did Ruth Buzzy, Uh, and, of course, Lily. Lily was eight different people would come in the studio. She said, which character do you want to use? I want to use them all. And uh, Lily today still remains one of the most brilliant comedian actresses and she's she's not a comic she's an actress that mm-hmm. becomes sure. different yep. people you know, well, who who do you really with, all,
0: with all these folks you've worked with over the years George um huh. do you stay in
1: touch with many of them, and if so, who do you still uh kind Well, of, a lot of them are yeah. gone you know Robin sure. of, i mean i I keep looking at my phone book trying to find somebody <laughs> but uh, uh I, I talked to Goldie, I talked to Lily. Uh, I communicate with Ruth. Uh, Joanne Worley, I see. Joanne Worley comes in. When she comes in the office, it's like turning on a siren, you know? <laughs> it was outrageous. And uh, and she she was a singer. And uh, uh, she had a song she wanted to do, Why Won't You Come Home. I said, I don't want to do that song. It's long and whatever. Eventually, we did it. And it was her singing about her boyfriend, Won't You Come Home. And when, when she's singing this song, People started arriving at the studio. It was the longest number I ever did, was about four minutes. And people started arriving. Eventually, people on horseback, people on camels, everything came arriving there. And, and Joanne was singing about it. Doesn't sound like a funny number now. But if you ever run, why won't you come home with Joanne Worley? You can't believe all of that stuff going on in one musical now. Now, after uh, after laughing, George, you did the uh, Grammy Awards, the
0: American Comedy Awards. What are some of the keys in your mind of uh, pr- producing, putting together a good uh, showcase like that, like those?
1: First of all, I think you have to take the word no out of your vocabulary. Secondly, you have to look at failure as a postponement of success. Uh, take chances, listen, play. Cause they still they call it play acting and play acting is it. And I mean, Take a take a, a mistake. Take a problem. One day, one day, Dick Martin got upset at something and didn't come into the studio. And we're taping, so I went across the hall and I got Johnny Carson. I said, "Johnny, would you come across the hall and read Dick Martin's cards?" Well, you ought to run it sometime. It's Johnny Carson appearing as Dick Martin, and it was hysterical. Nobody's mentioned it. It's just like, oh, really? And uh, uh, failure, failure is only a postponement of success. I sa- I don't sound. I know I must sound crazy to people. But when you read Still Laughing, you'll see in there how each time I failed, I managed to turn it around into a yep. success. Yep. And I had some big help with Jolene and meeting Ernie Kovacs was a big help. What, okay, what's, this, what's the key to having a
0: successful, my folks were married 65 years also. What is the key, and they would bicker and everything, but what's the key to having a long-term successful marriage relationship?
1: Learn to listen. And uh, appreciate, you know, because Jolene, Jolene was gorgeous. And Jolene was a brilliant, you know, comedian and actress. uh, uh, And and I was faithful. I came home very late, but I was working all the time. And I listened. And I really appreciated the fact that she's one of the brightest women I've ever seen or known. And I've been able, by the way, women have had a big effect on me. Goldie, Lily, Joanne, Jolene, Maria. My daughter Maria was a better producer than I ever was. And uh AJ our other daughter has a ranch and she's teaching kids to compete in the Olympics horseback riding uh, uh, look at failure as a postponement of success uh, look at uh, sadness as uh, an alternative to happiness. just know joy is there. all we have to do is look for it and accept it and uh, uh, I know I sound I sound old and I sound uh, uh, pontificating this. Here's this old fat guy sitting there talking about success. you got to realize you're going to get lucky. You cannot live in this life with not getting lucky once in a while. And seize that and enjoy it. And failures. I enjoyed my I did a series once. I did it for NBC. And NBC saw the pilot and committed to 13 shows. When they saw the pilot, they upped the deal to 18 shows. It was the most exciting thing they'd ever seen put it on the air, and a guy in Cleveland wanted to keep Peyton Place and replace, the show replaced Peyton Place, and so they put it on the air, and he convinced stations all across the country to cancel it, so the show was cancelled after its first 15 minutes, everybody thought it was the most brilliant concept ever it was cancelled after the first 15 minutes and it still goes in history books as the shortest television show <laughs> in, in history, it was called wow. Turn and it set a record and uh, Amazing. Uh, but it was, it was an adventure. Mm-hmm. So turnout was my biggest failure, but my biggest success because of the impact of it, you know, and they still use it as a, a, an example of network interference. And excellent. And a perfect way to
0: put punctuation on our, our conversation. I really enjoyed this. I, I, I love your positive attitude. I love how you lived your life up to this point and hopefully many, many more years. And I, I love how you made your decisions. I love how you look for the positive. And the book is called "Still Laughing." My special guest, George Slaughter, on Guys Guys Radio. I really appreciate all you've done, and thank you for being with us on
1: it's our show. Great fun! Uh, great fun, and I love the fact you said up to this point, which would seem to indicate that there's more to come. Absolutely. So as long as I'm as long as I'm able to sit up, I'm gonna appreciate people that make us laugh. Well, you're an inspiration, and I've learned a lot just
0: listening to you and having this conversation, so I'm, I'm honored, read, and I thank you.
1: Hopefully, if people read the book, they'll get a sense of what joy can do to your life and how you can find joy. Yeah. That's yeah. what I wrote about. The, the book's
0: very good, and I think one of your greatest accomplishments is the fact that in your business that you managed to stay with uh, one woman who you're very much in love with the entire
1: uh, your entire career. That, that's true. That's five the years. That's much of the reason for the success. I found a great woman I wouldn't let go. No way. Fantastic. Thank All you. right. Thank you so much, George. A pleasure to meet you. Oh, this was great fun. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. It's Guys, Guy Radio.
0: Okay, what an interesting conversation with legendary Hollywood TV producer George Slaughter. We learned a lot, I think, the, uh, with the benefit of the, his years and his experience working f- with everybody from Sinatra to Cher to Laughing and so many other super talented and iconic Hollywood uh, stars and stars in music and stars in comedy. He just knows everybody and has been through it all, Um, I think George's words of wisdom were, you got to be lucky, you got to be in the right place at the right time, you got to be adaptable, and you've got to be a good person, you got to be kind, and uh, I think George really knows from experience, because he's been doing it for how many decades now? He's 93, and he said the same thing a few times, and that is about, you've got to be lucky and I think the way of making your own luck is doing the right thing, being in the right place at the right time, and just listening, being adaptable, being fast on your feet, because from George's book, Still Laughing, and the stories he tells, and the anecdotes that are in there, he was really quick. He knew how to adapt. He knew how to react. He knew how to stand up for himself and manage some of these big stars, and big egos, and big networks, and He did a fantastic job, my Hats off to him. I'm so glad he came on to Guys Guys Radio. I hope we enjoyed our conversation because we really learned a lot today from George about life, about TV production, and really what it what it takes to really make it in that very rough and tumble business. So Guys Guys Radio, we're here every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Pacific time on KCAA Radio here in Southern California, 106.5 FM, 1050 AM, the podcast. My YouTube and Rumble all post worldwide across platforms every Thursday. We're back on UK Health Radio every weekend for four shows, um, UK time at Greenwich Meridian time, 12 a.m. Friday, 6 a.m. Saturday, 12 p.m. Sunday, 6 p.m. Monday. So do the math based on your time zone, but you can watch our show on uk health radio on demand you can watch us listen live stream download on kcaa you can find us all over the podcast platforms we're everywhere we've been downloaded in over 100 countries and our youtube and rumble obviously you can go right there and watch the interview portion of our show so you have no excuse not to be able to find guys guys radio or our video guys guys tv and if you enjoy the guests and content i bring you each and every week to the show Please do us a favor, support us, subscribe, rate, review, follow, all that kind of stuff wherever you consume your content and wherever you watch or listen to Guys Guys Radio. Greatly appreciated. You can also catch me on my website, robertmanni.com. I've got over 300 blog posts about life, love, the pursuit of happiness. You can also download three free chapters of my novel, The Guys Guys Guide. love which is really the source material for everything guys guy it's a been called a sexy romp through the fast moving high stakes world of madison avenue it's a lot of fun it's a rom-com it's kind of a summer book but it's about something it's like let's see 350 pages and uh i think you'll find that it's really about relationships it's about savvy women flawed guys love sex power money friendship revenge redemption and a lot of sex and it's fast and frothy and fun and again you can download three free chapters on my website and then you can pick up the book the physical copy or the ebook, wherever you buy your books obviously it's there on amazon for you, you can read the reviews there also so guys guys radio we're here for you every week i've got a whole bunch of terrific guests lined up for the fall And I think you're really going to enjoy it because I enjoy it. And together, we're learning so much because I select the guests who come on the show. And I make sure as part of my vetting process, my criteria is that they have something to offer, something to teach me, something to teach you, something that we can decide, hey, this is for me or not. And it'll be information. Hopefully, it's fresh and something you can use. And if you decide that, like, I like it, I understand it, but it's not for me, that's cool. It's your life, you got to make your own choices, but I'm going to bring you guests who have something to offer besides the usual the usual stuff you get in mass market media and also just on a lot of talk shows and just a quick run throughs and the top line stuff. I drill deep with our guests and because I want to get to the essence of who they are and what they have to offer us. So, thank you for being with me on this journey. I want to thank all my wonderful guests. Probably I've spoken to about 750 thought leaders and had great conversations with them i want to thank my, also my wonderful producer chris my strategy lead ryan and most of all i want to thank you my wonderful audience as we continue to grow and grow and grow here on guys guys radio guys guys tv so i'll see you next week and until then like i always like to say guys guys finish first